As we get into this text, I want to ask you if you've ever been to a drive-thru and you've, you've put your order through and you pull forward and you go up to the window and the person is super nice at the window and they take your money and everything and then you, you drive up and they hand you your food and they're all sweet and nice and pleasant and they say, have a nice day and you take your food and you, you put it down on the seat next to you and you, you drive away and then you go and you look inside the bag and you ordered two cheeseburgers and a large fry and a large Coke and you did not get what you ordered. Has anybody ever had that experience before? And immediately, it doesn't, you don't care how nice they were at the window. You're like, how dare they? Why? Because you're like, I what? I, I paid for two cheeseburgers, a large fry, and a large Coke. I don't care if it's bad for me. That's what I paid for. That's what I want, right? And so you just grin and bear it, and you eat the filet of fish, and you think about how much worse that is for you than the two cheeseburgers, and you move on with your life. It's really specific, but uh, maybe some of you guys have been there. But you've at least been in that position where you, you've ordered something and you haven't gotten what you've ordered. You paid for something and you haven't gotten what you've paid for. Or maybe you've ordered something online and, and you see the pictures online and you're like, man, this is the coolest thing in the world. I can't wait to get this. And, and you buy it and you're like, wow, this is a, a super good price too. And you can't believe you're getting this thing for what you're paying for it. And then it shows up and you open up the box and it's, you all of a sudden realize why you paid so little for that thing that you ordered online. Because instead of being like this big, it's like this big, right? And so now on Amazon, even with the books, have you seen that? They've got like this like graphic up there that shows you how big the book is when you order a book. I, that's useless information, except for the person that's like, I want a really big book, and then they get the tiny one, and they're upset. Or maybe you've had that situation where one of your friends has been gone all year long, and you haven't seen them all year. You've been away at college, or they've been away at college, and you're both going to be back home at the same time, and you're just looking forward to spending time with them. You've got your, your time planned out. You've got everything all set. You've got like you, you and your best friends, week oh fun. Like it's even a, a Word doc, an Excel spreadsheet that you've created and, and you're that guy or that girl. And then your friend shows up and sh she's there and she's all excited and she's like, oh, and hey, meet my friend who came with me from school. And all of a sudden your plans just shatter because you're like, oh, I thought I was gonna get your undivided attention. But now, you know, Shaniqua is here to hang out with us and have fun with us. And I didn't plan for three people, I planned for two people. And all of a sudden you're upset because you're like, what? I'm not getting what I thought I was getting. I'm not getting your full undivided attention. Now I've got to share you with somebody. Well, when it comes to the, the gospel, not only has, has God bought us, that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says. At the cross, Jesus paid the penalty that we could not pay. God redeemed us. You've been bought with a price is what Paul says there. Not only has he bought us, but God wants all of us, as we just sang even. He wants our undivided affection, our undivided attention, our undivided devotion to him. And what's tragic is when he doesn't get that. And that's what Paul's addressing in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14 tonight. He's showing us that God has saved you and wants all of you for himself. God saved you and wants all of you for himself. And this is no different than God with Israel in the Old Testament, right? The Lord your God is a jealous God. You ever thought about what that means? Jealous for what? Jealous for the affection of the people. Jealous for the devotion of the Israelites. He didn't want them to, to worship some other pagan gods and false gods, or he didn't want them to neglect him and just add people into the, the, the pantheon of their gods. He wanted all of them for himself. 
And the same is true for you when it comes to your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Today, he wants all of you. Because the cost that he paid, y'all, to redeem you, to purchase you for himself, was enormous in the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And so Paul starts in Romans chapter 6, we're in verses 12 through 14. And he says this, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. He starts out, let not sin therefore. Paul's drawn a conclusion, and the conclusion comes from what we've talked about already in this series, which is all about our union with Christ, that we've been united with him in a death like his, so that we will be united in a resurrection like his. We were buried with Christ, therefore, that we might be raised to walk in newness of life, just like he was. So when we repent from our sins and trust Jesus as our Savior, it's as though we've paid that penalty that sin owes, that we are dead now to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And we've spent some time talking about that, and Paul's now drawing a conclusion. And now things are about to get really practical for us. What does that actually mean for my life? What should I now do because of my new relationship with God? Because I'm dead to sin. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. These opening verses without Christ are impossible. If you are not saved, you cannot obey what Paul is telling you here. It's trying to do something that is impossible in your own flesh, in, of your own power. But if you are in Christ, what I hope to show you tonight is not only is this possible, but you're crazy to continue to go back to the same sins that you've struggled with, that you've battled, that you've been fighting time and time and time and time again, that you've just given yourself over to. Paul wants you to know that in Christ you have freedom from that, that you don't have to continue to go back to that. He says, therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal body to obey its passions. We're at a disadvantage because we're not in a monarchy. We're in a democracy, right? But think about King David. And think about the, the situation with David and Bathsheba. And that was not a good situation, was it? But there you saw firsthand the power that the king had. What the king desired, the king got. And it was wicked and it was evil. But at the same time, even when the king's servant said, hey, uh, David, that, that, that girl that you're wanting us to bring to you, um, she's married. Not only that, but they said she's married also to Uriah the Hittite. You know him, David. He's one of your mighty men. So Bathsheba was the wife of one of David's personal guys, one of his mighty men, not just some random guy. David knew this guy, this woman's husband, and yet at the same time, he looks at his servant and says, I, I don't care, go and take her to me. What the king says, the king gets. What the king wants, the king gets. And Paul compares sin to that. And he's saying, therefore, because now you're dead to sin, don't give sin the throne in your heart. Don't let sin reign in your life. If sin says jump, guys, you don't have to ask how high any longer because of your union with Christ. He says, do not let sin reign in your body to make you obey its passions. That word passions is the, the Greek word for lusts. 
It's, it's the, the idea that John talks about in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. When he says this, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Whoever loves the world does not love the, the Father for the things of the world. And he says the, the lust of the eyes, the things that we see, the things that we want, the things that we, we, we covet with our eyes, the lust of the flesh, the things that internally we just crave and long for, and the lust of the, the, the pride of life the boastfulness in our lives. He says, those things are not from God, but they're from this world, and the world is passing away along with all of its desires. And so Paul's telling you, don't let those things reign in your life. Why? Because you've been united to the death of Christ. You've died to sin. And so sin has been deposed from your life. It's no longer on the throne. So this is, is talking to those people who were continuing to give in to the same sins time and time again, yet at the same time professing to be followers of Christ, and there's little to no fight against those sin. Paul's going, Paul is, is asking them, saying, what are you doing? Sin's not on the throne anymore, and yet you're acting like it is. This is the mindset that says, you know what, my life is all about being happy and being fulfilled and satisfied, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that I'm those things, and I I really don't care about anything else. This is a life that is all about you. It's a life where self is on the throne. Paul describes these people in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. Philippians 3, 19, he says their end, listen to this, he says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, their appetite, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So these are the people who have a desire. When it says their belly, it's not just talking about food. It's talking about any of those fleshly appetites that you have, those cravings that you know are not right, that you know are sinful, that you just give into. The picture here in Philippians 3.19 is one of worshiping a God and that God is yourself, that God is your own desires, your own appetites. The picture that Paul's driving at in Romans is the picture of a a, a king, a master, and you are its subject, you are its servant, you are enslaved to your lusts. Whether that be for sexual things, whether that be for just worldly pleasures, status, fame, drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be, you want it and you go out and get it because you just don't care. And you may think, well, I'm free because look at me, I can go do all these things and I don't have any restrictions on me, but you are less free than any other person in this room. You are an absolute, an abject slave to those things. And Paul is making it very clear that if you continue in that, your end will be destruction. The the, the happiest you will be is in those fleeting moments of joy that you have that pass away and that leave you going, when am I going to get my next fix on that? That is the happiest you will ever be for all of eternity. And as soon as you die, you will never experience another ounce of joy for the rest of your life, but you will be in torment for the rest of your life. Starting heavy, guys, because I want you to see where that life leads. Paul describes the state in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following, notice the language of enslavement, the language of servitude here, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul says, don't present yourselves to sin as though sin was still on the throne. This is the good news. This is where the the good news comes in right now is that Paul is writing to you saying, look, because of Jesus, now you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to be enslaved to those passions and those lusts. You don't have to go through that cycle of getting what you want, but then crashing right afterwards and thinking to yourself, man, I am a wretch. I'm a horrible, when can I get my next fix? I don't want to feel like this anymore, so what, I, what can I do to, to dull the pain in between this high and the next one? And I'm not just talking about drugs. I'm talking about porn. I'm talking about sex. I'm talking about alcohol. I'm talking about materialism. I'm talking about whatever sin it is that you are enslaved to. Paul's saying you don't have to be there anymore. That relationship that we have to sin, it's like being in a relationship with an abusive partner, boyfriend, girlfriend. And breaking off from that relationship is what we have the opportunity to do in Christ. So our first point tonight is this. Tell sin that it's over. Tell sin that it's over. I don't know how many of you in the room have had bad relationships with a boyfriend or girlfriend. I was about to ask for hands, but some of you have dated each other in this room, so I'm not going to do that. But you can conceive of it even if you haven't had a a bad relationship. But a relationship which I'm sure a lot of you out in the room have had, a a bad relationship, a relationship that hasn't ended well, and you've broken up, and, and you've known in that moment that it's a good thing to break up with this person. That it's the right thing to do. And even after you, you broke up, you, you felt a, a relief and you felt a, a weight lifted off your shoulders. But then all of a sudden the feelings of, of loneliness crept in. And maybe you were tempted to, to call them again. Even though you know this was a bad relationship, I shouldn't go back to it. But then the temptation to, to pick up the phone and to call them again because you, you're starting to, to, to just remember the, the good times. And you just want someone there. Or maybe you're, you're tempted to just give them another chance. You know what? Maybe they've, they've changed. Maybe this time will be different. Or maybe you're tempted to believe the promises that they're making to you, trying to win you back even though that you know better. You know nothing really has changed. Or maybe you're tempted, again, only to, to remember the highlights of the relationship and you're trying to force yourself to forget the bad things. Guys, when we go back to sin, that's what it's like. It's like going back to that abusive relationship. Going, thanks, can I, can I have another round? It's going back to sin and saying, use me again. And so Paul's saying, we don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. Therefore, if you are in Christ, do not let sin have that, that role, that authority, that power in your life. Don't let it reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. It doesn't have that right anymore. You guys remember when Peter was in prison in Acts chapter 12 and Peter's sitting there in prison, in jail, and there's a major earthquake that happens and the the doors of the prison open up and the chains fall off, right? Sorry, that's a, a different one. That's with Paul. Peter's in jail and an angel shows up, doesn't he? Different one. The angel shows up, the, the guard and everybody else has no clue what's happening. The angel comes in and he finds Peter and he says, Peter, 
get up and follow me. Because I'm, I'm going to lead you out of prison. Now imagine if Peter looked at the angel and was like, no, I'm good. I kind of like it here. I, I like uh, sitting around human filth and excrement because there's no bathrooms in this place and there's prisoners all over the place and, and you know, you got to do what you got to do. I like uh, not knowing where my next meal is coming from. I like eating with all these other people around here. I like the way that that guy's snoring in the corner. I like sleeping on cold rocks. Uh, I'm good. Thanks for showing up, angel of God, and uh, I appreciate what you're trying to do here, but I'm going to stay in jail. Would that make any sense at all? No, and in fact, Peter doesn't do that. He gets up and he leaves with him, and he goes to the house, and he's knocking on the door going, hey, let me in. You'll never believe what just happened. But guys, again, when we choose to go back to sin, it's like Peter just staying in the jail going, no, this is better. Thanks. I prefer this over freedom. Guys, as, as powerful as the urges and the temptations are, and I'm not saying they're not powerful. I get it. They are. They are, but as powerful as they are, if you are truly saved in Christ, sin has been dethroned from your life and you now have the ability to say no, to flee, to escape, to run the other way. That's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, that other people haven't experienced themselves. You're not unique in whatever you're struggling with out there. Other people have been there. Other people have struggled with it. And then he says this, God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape in order that you may be able to endure it. That's a promise from God that wherever you are, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, whatever sin and temptation you are dealing with, facing, God is providing you a way of escape. You just have to open your eyes and look for it and then take it. Paul says, don't let sin reign. He says, do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. To present means to put at somebody's disposal. Again, that idea, use me. Use me and abuse me. That's what, what Paul's saying. Don't do that with sin. And he says, don't present your members. And again, this is, I said at the beginning, this is gonna get really practical. And Paul's driving at that here. He's saying literally, don't present the parts of your body to sin. That's what he means by members. As tools of unrighteousness, as instruments of unrighteousness. You're not the obedient subject of sin any longer. Therefore, your body is no longer at the disposal of sin. So let's think through some of these things. Your brain is God's now. Your mind. So be done with the thoughts that you entertain that are not godly thoughts, that are not pure, that are not right, that are not good. Be done with the fantasies that you entertain. Be done with the, the, the things that you meditate on that are negative, that lead you into fear, that lead you into anxiety. Be done with the reactions that you have to people in your mind, especially, I'm sure for a lot of us, out on the road, somebody cuts you off, what thought pops into your mind? Be, be done with those things, your, your mind, your brain, the things that fill your mind. It's no longer a tool of sin, an instrument of sin. Paul's saying, stop giving it over to sin and saying, here, use this for unrighteousness. How about your eyes? Those are God's now. 
No longer present your eyes as instruments of unrighteousness. Your eyes are the receptors of what fills your mind. And so what you watch, what you look at, what you see, where you rest your gaze. Paul's saying, don't offer up your eyes to sin as an instrument to say, here, use this for unrighteousness. Your mouth is now God's. Paul says, where once before you may have used your mouth for your own glory to boast in yourself, or you may have used your mouth to tear down other people. You may have used your mouth just in, in, in profane ways. Paul's saying your, your mouth is God's now. No longer give it to sin and say, here, this is a tool for you. Use it for unrighteousness. Your ears are God's now. If the eyes are the primary receptor that, uh, that informs what fills our mind, the ears are right behind it. What you listen to. Before it may have been whatever filth that you wanted to put on with the music that you listen to and everything else, or it may have been you're sitting there listening to gossip, you're listening to other people tear somebody else down, and you're being entertained by that. Paul would say, your ears are no longer an instrument for unrighteousness. They're God's now. Your hands, I mean, most practically, what are you doing with your, your hands? Are they doing things that are sinful and unrighteous? Guys, this is a hard concept for us to start out with. To say, okay, I'm going to tell sin that it's over. Man, it is a difficult, it seems that our lust and our, our sinful desires, our passions are so often so strong and so powerful. And guys, this is why this is not a one-time deal. What I'm trying to communicate to you tonight is not that you can make a decision tonight to go, I resolve that I will never ever use my instruments for sin again. That's not, that's not gonna be the way it works. Okay, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where the, the enemy, where Satan and his demons are not stupid. They know how to appeal to the things that we desire in our fleshly lust. And so what this means is that this is gonna be a daily discipline for you. Something that daily you're going to have to make sure you are waking up today going, today I am not sins. My body does not belong to sin. It's now transferred ownership. And now it belongs to God and to be used by him as an instrument for righteousness. And that's where Paul goes. He says, but don't do that. Don't, don't listen to sin. Don't present yourselves to sin. But instead, verse 13, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. That's what we've looked at previously in this series. Those who have been born again, those who have been regenerated, those who are now new creations in Christ. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Again, this is not possible apart from Christ, but if you are in Christ, this is something you can do. You can wake up, and again, it's gonna be daily, y'all. And if you're not doing this daily, you're gonna drift back into offering yourself to sin. But daily, you can offer yourselves to God as an instrument of righteousness. Notice where Paul begins again here in 13. It's, it's the holistic person. It's all of us. Present yourselves to God. Not just part of you. Not a portion, not, not your mind, not your, your body, not your, 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 your thoughts. Present all of you, yourself, to God. 
as those who have been brought from death to life. Again, in the Old Testament, uh, when, uh, when Moses and then Joshua would, would later on say the same thing. But do you remember the call that, that Moses made to Israel? He made it after giving the, the, the Ten Commandments and the law. He said, choose you today who you're going to serve. Joshua said the same thing after they entered into the promised land. Hey, choose this day who you're going to serve. And the, the, the idea there wasn't like, okay, choose once and then you're done. But it's every single day. Choose today who you're going to serve. And that's the call for you and I. Every single morning that you and I get up and get out of bed, it's who are, are you going to serve today? Who am I going to serve today? Am I going to serve my flesh or am I going to serve God? Am I going to offer up my body to sin or am I going to offer up my body to the Lord? And, and guys, we, we sang it, didn't we? If more of you means less of me, what's the next two words? Take everything. If all of you is all I need, take everything. And if you sang that tonight, I want to ask you if you really believe that. Because you were singing not to the band up front. You were singing not to the back of the head in front of you. You were saying that and singing that to the Lord, saying, God, if, if, it's, if that's what it looks like, if that's what it means, take everything, all of me, God is yours. This is the flip side of what we looked at earlier. This is the positive to the negative here. Our second point tonight is this. Daily offer your all to God. Daily offer your all, your everything to God. I recently got my wife a, a new car, which maybe that was the most romantic thing I've done in a while. It's a minivan. So there you go. It still has to do with kids. But still, hey, you know what? Anyways, I went to the dealership, I sat down, and I talked to the guy there, and it was a God thing because I was like, I don't know how to negotiate, guys, I really don't. But this guy was worse at making a deal than I am at negotiating. Anyways, walked out with a great deal. But imagine if I had gone and gone through all of that, and, and I took Josh with me. We were there for like five hours. It was just, it was not fun. And end of the day, we sign all the paperwork, we, we walk out, and they're like, all right, here's your minivan. And they gave me the, the four tires and two doors and nothing else. I'd be like, are you? are you kidding me right now? Like, this is a good deal, but it's worth more than, than that, what you just gave me, right? We expect the whole package when we take ownership of something. But when God has taken ownership of you, like I said at the beginning, he takes ownership of you and expects the whole thing, all of you. God paid for all of you and wants all of you, not just fill in the blank, whatever. We can't go to the Lord and say, God, you can have all of me except... This relationship. God, you can have all of me except this part of my life that I want to make sure that happens. God, you can have all of me except the school that I'm going to. You can have all of me except my bank account. You can have all of me except, if there's an except anything, then we don't get it. And he doesn't have all of us. We need to offer all of us to the Lord. What does that look like? Let's go back through the list that we went through before. Your body, again, is God's. Take care of it. I know I make jokes sometimes about trying to, to contrast my glorified body with my earthly body as, be, as best I can, and that's why I continue to eat junk. But, but honestly, guys, I mean, seriously, we do need to take care of our bodies. God has given them to us, and the way that you care for your body is an exercise of your worship and appreciation for the Lord, your stewardship of your body. 
Your brain, again, is, is the Lord's. We talked about what not to think, think about, what not to fill our minds with. The Bible actually tells us to, to fill our minds with other things. And so as you're sitting there, maybe you're, you're thinking to yourself, is, is what I'm thinking honoring to the Lord? No, it's not. Okay, what do I do? How do I replace that thought? Paul gives us a grid in Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. In other words, something that you're thinking about that if you told somebody else you were thinking about that, they would be like, oh yeah, that's a great thought. That's what that means, whatever's commendable. If there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So what are you doing with your brain and, and how are you actively thinking about things that are gonna bring honor and glory to the Lord? A great way to do that, guys, is, is to redeem the time that you're in the car. Redeem the time that normally you're just popping on whatever music you like to listen to. And I'm not anti-secular music. I'm not sitting here going, you have to burn all your secular iPhones. Um, you just, just be wise with what you're filling your mind with. If you wanna to start thinking differently than what you've been thinking, start Filling your mind with the word of God. There's an app out there now called Dwell, D-W-E-L-L. Um, it's an awesome app. It's a, an audio Bible, and there's got different plans on there. Like there's a plan to, to say, man, I want to listen to something that's going to fill my mind with God's word before I go to sleep. There's a plan for that on this app. I want to listen to something that's going to be the Psalms and Proverbs. There's 30 days you can listen to the Psalms and Proverbs. I want to listen to the book of Acts. There's a, a way for you to go on and just find a, a plan to listen to the book of Acts. Listen chronologically through the Bible. Listen to the Bible through the year. Man, I'm, I'm lonely right now. There's plans on this app for you to, to jump on God's word and find hope and encouragement for you when you're struggling with loneliness or depression or despair, whatever it is. And so that's a great resource to fill your mind with what you're thinking with God's word. Your eyes, again, are, are God's. What are you looking at? Where are you resting your, your gaze? Guys, I, I, I talked to a lot of the, the high school guys when I was a high school pastor, youth pastor, but for all of us, and it's something that I still think about is we need to have bouncy eyes, gentlemen. Do you know what that means? That means if, if you're out and about and, and some lady is, is not dressed as modestly as she should be, your eyes need to bounce right off, right? And get on something else. Or if you walk in someplace or you, you're scrolling through social media and something pops up, ladies, same thing. I'm, I'm not pretending this is just a guy's thing. If, if you're on social media and you're scrolling through and Ryan Gosling is there with his shirt off, you just need to bounce those eyes, right? Um, and, and get them on something else. You need to protect your eyes. Be proactive. Say, these are not to be used for sin, but they're to be used for the Lord. A great place to rest your gaze is on God's word. Again, take in the Bible. Your mouth is God's. Speak truth. Speak kindness. Speak compassion, speak grace, speak mercy, speak forgiveness, speak encouragement to one another. Speak scripture to other people. Your ears are God's. Again, what are you taking in? What are you listening to? Listen to truth, listen to the Bible, listen to kindness, listen to compassion, listen to grace, listen to mercy, listen to forgiveness, listen. Don't be afraid if your friend is talking to you about something that you just don't wanna hear about to go, hey, look, stop. I don't want to listen to what you're talking about. I don't, I don't really care about that. Or if your friend is, is tearing somebody else down, gossiping about them, slandering about them, stop them. And in so doing, you're going to be offering up your, your ears to the Lord to say, God, these are, are for you, not for me. Your hands are God's. What are you doing with these? What actually are you doing with your body to glorify God? Your worship is God's. 
Paul will say later in the book of Romans, building on this idea, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, Romans 12, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That, that word bodies, it's, it's your physical pers- person. Give God everything, all of that you are. Give it to the Lord as a act of worship, which is really what we're driving at here because who you present yourself to is revealing who you really are worshiping. Again, this is not something that you can decide, okay, I'm all in. I'm gonna do this today and then expect that it's gonna be different for the rest of your life. This is something daily. Choose this day who you are going to serve. Choose this day who are you going to offer up yourself and your body to Well, as Paul continues, he says this in verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you. Sin will have no dominion. Dominion, it's a word that means mastery. It doesn't own you any longer. And let me remind you why, by just running through where he's been so far in Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six, verse two, the second half of it. How can we who died to sin still live in it? When we've died to something, whatever we've died to no longer has power and authority over us. That's why Mary and Martha needed Jesus, as we learned about this morning, to show up at Lazarus' tomb and get Lazarus out of the tomb because Lazarus had died to Mary and Martha. So Mary and Martha could have stood there and screamed at the tomb all they wanted to, Lazarus, come out! And nothing would have happened because they don't have power over the dead body that's in that grave. Likewise, You have died to sin. Sin can stand outside of your grave and yell at you all it wants. Come out. But it has no actual authority over you. It has no dominion. Romans chapter six, verse six. We know that our old self was crucified with Christ, executed, put to death with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, rendered powerless, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse seven, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Verses 10 through 11, for the death he died, Jesus died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what has Paul been saying throughout this entire time in Romans chapter six? You are free from sin. Your relationship to sin has changed forever in Christ. Is that that clear from what he's been arguing so far in Romans six? Now what we've been talking about tonight is the practical outworkings of that. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Before Christ, you were bound by the law. And the law is there to condemn. The law is there to show you you don't measure up. The law is there to show you you need salvation. The law is there to say, here's the commandment and look at how you broke it. The law has no power to transform you. The law has no power to save you. That's why Paul says no one will be saved by works of the law. The law can't do that. So he says you are not under the law, but you are under grace. See, grace is different from the law because grace is what came in and regenerated you. Grace is Jesus Christ on the cross dying for your sins. Grace is God opening your eyes so that you repent from your sins and put your faith in Jesus so that you are made new, so that you are born again, so that now you can wake up today and go, okay, today I'm going to offer myself to God and not to sin. Grace transforms you. 
Grace sanctifies you. Grace changes you. And that's what it means when Paul says, you're not under law, but under grace. Our final point tonight is this. Daily remember. Daily. Again, daily. Daily remember your new identity in Christ. Guys, imagine if I I took out every single book about hitting a fastball. And I read every single book about hitting a fastball. And I read all the mechanics. And I, I, I just... I had all the information and I knew exactly what I was required to do. The commandments to hit a, a fastball. And I had them all. And, and I read them and I memorized them. And then I stepped in against Araldus Chapman. Guess what I'm not going to do? Hit the fastball. Because it has nothing to do with the law of how to hit a fastball. It has everything to do with whether or not I have the ability to, to do it in the first place. And I don't. Similarly, you guys can have all the law, all the scripture, all the the head knowledge about what it looks like to live obediently to God. But if grace hasn't transformed you, if you haven't first come to Christ, if you haven't repented of your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the dead and that you can be forgiven and declared righteous if you will believe that. If you have not done that, it's like me trying to stand in and and hit a fastball from Araldus Chapman. I don't care if I memorized every single book on how to do it. I can't do it. And so daily remind yourself of your new identity in Christ. You are under grace. Grace has transformed you. You're not under the law. The law is there to say, look, you fall short. Grace is there to say, I'm going to transform you and forgive you for your shortfallings. Again, God saved you. God saved you. God bought you, and he wants all of you. And in saving you, he's made it possible for you to give all of yourself to him. You make a decision each day and many more decisions throughout the day about who you're going to be used by. Used by sin, used by God. Or maybe some of you today are going, man, this has not been a good day on this front. Well, let me encourage you that you don't have to wait until tomorrow. You can say, okay, from right now, this minute, this moment, this second, I'm offering myself to the Lord to be used by him. That, see, that's, that's, that's the beauty of, of grace in all of this. So the question before us tonight ultimately is, are you going to surrender yourself to the Lord to be used for good things, for righteousness? Before Christ, this was impossible, but now in Christ, it's not impossible anymore. In fact, it's not only possible, because it's, it's the best choice, the best decision for you to make. Let's pray together. God, less of us means more of you. Take everything. All of you is all we need. God, take everything. Well, that's our, our heart's desire. Pray tonight, God, that, that you would use this, this text Some students have just been offering up themselves to sin and their desires and their lusts. Recently, God, I pray that this would be a a, a good wake-up call to them to remember that they're in Christ. If they are in Christ, that they don't have to do this. That they can see a change, that they can make a transformation, that they can start tonight and say, tonight, God, I'm offering up myself to you to be used by you for righteousness and no longer to sin. Sin has been dethroned from my life because of Christ, because I'm now under grace. And so tonight, I'm giving myself to you. 
Lord, for others that may be here and, and sin has not been dethroned. Sin is still on the throne because they haven't given themselves to you to begin with in faith and repentance. God, I pray that tonight would be that night. God, you say in your word, today is the day of salvation. It's, it's not tomorrow. It's not, hey, go home and chew on this and think about it and come back and let me know what your questions are. No, it's, it's right now where they are. God, press in on them with the weight of their, their guilt and yet at the same time with the, the joyful hope that there is in Christ for them. Lord, we want to be used by you for righteousness. Because as we went on to sing that song, we want to be made more like Jesus. Do that in us, Lord, by your power, according to your grace, for the glory of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.